Hello and welcome to Talking Law, the podcast where you can hear barristers, judges, solicitors, managing partners and more talk about their lives and careers. I'm Dr. Sally Penny, MBE. I'm a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester. I'm also the founder of Women in the Law UK. This episode is supported by CBRE, the leading global provider of commercial real estate services and investments. Find out more at cbre.com. Before you meet today's guests, a reminder the tickets for the Women in the Law UK annual dinner and conference are now available. The conference takes place in November. Please visit womeninthelawuk.com for more details. I'd also love you to watch my recent TED Talk, where I discuss whether love can conquer hate. Please head to ted.com and search for Sally Penny. Today, I'm talking law with Alice Stevenson, the CEO and founder of Stevenson Law, an award-winning legal service provider who say their mission is to challenge the old guard of the legal profession. I asked Alice about her journey from becoming a solicitor to setting up her own law firm with a few pregnancies along the way. I mean, there's actually been three pregnancies um, because I have three children. Um, But the first pregnancy was when I was only 18 and still at school. And that kind of obviously set me off on a slightly different path. Um, Although at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I I could spend the whole podcast just talking about that period in my life. And obviously, that's not why I'm here. But Um, after having my daughter I really wanted to go to university I didn't do amazingly my A-levels because I was seven months pregnant when I took them and things were pretty challenging at the time from a personal perspective so I was quite limited in what I could do university wise and also I, I didn't want to move I didn't want to relocate so I found a course at the university that was closest to me which was sociology and HR management which was actually worked quite well because it you know the hours weren't too bad it wasn't too intense and I did that for four years and then I went into a career in HR management and I did that for a couple of years and it was fine but I didn't really feel excited about what I was doing I, I could do it but it wasn't you know it wasn't my reason for getting out of bed every morning yeah. so I decided that I wanted to go into law and I don't really know why I made that decision to be honest I think my dad is a solicitor and I think for a long time that actually put me off going into the profession <laughs> um, but I think I just thought that it would be more of a challenge for me um, than than the career that I had at the time And also I was very focused on, you know, building a really sort of stable future for my, for me and my daughter as well. And I thought law would be able to give that to me. So I went back to uni and did the, uh, the GDL and the LPC. I was really fortunate to get a training contract that sponsored me. And then after I finished, I went and did my, did my training contract uh, with what was Bon Pierce in Bristol. And then at the time of qualification, the 2009, basically the, the recession happened and it was a terrible job market, terrible time to qualify. Yeah. Um, and it was a real challenge to find anything. I managed to find something. I couldn't stay where I was, but I found a commercial solicitor role in another firm. 
And I kind of moved around a little bit, tried a few different things, all within the kind of corporate and commercial technology kind of area. And after doing that for about three years, I just got really frustrated and really, just really, I suppose, disenchanted with the legal profession. At this time, I'd had another child. I had my second child when I was training. Yes. And... I just kind of felt a bit like I was always a second class citizen in the law firms that I was working at. Yeah. And I decided that I was going to leave law altogether, actually. I just I couldn't see myself progressing. I didn't want to be a partner and I just didn't see how I was going to have a future within the legal industry. So I decided I made the decision that I was going to leave. I quit my job and I left and I had a couple of months off. I know. Dramatic, right? I like properly decided, but then I couldn't think of anything else to do. It took me, it was, it, yeah, I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to do. And at the same time, I was offered some freelancing sort of opportunities as a lawyer. And I decided, well, what's the worst that can happen? Let's, I might as well do that. And then, you know, I'll keep thinking about what else I can do. So I did that and I actually ended up doing that for three years, working much, much more in-house with in-house legal teams, yeah, which gave me a really different perspective because you're kind of working on the, the client side. And I did that for three years and then I had my third child and I knew that I didn't want to go back to doing that because again, I didn't feel like I was really going anywhere. My career wasn't progressing. It wasn't really fulfilling me or challenging me. So I decided I'll just start my own law firm. So that's what I did. Wow. Let's just pause on that for a moment, because I have another friend who was going to leave law and then she became judge, um, a, a judge and followed the process um, and sits the circuit judge. Now, in some respects, that, that's a hard route, but not as hard as setting up your own law firm and then being successful, because that takes some guts, doesn't it? It's not just the desire to set up and, you know, and have your name on the letters, is it? Who inspired you? How did you get your head around funding, recruiting, compliance? Because the entrepreneurial route is very different, isn't it, to having been yeah. an employed solicitor or indeed being in-house or freelance consultant and so on and so forth? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there wasn't anyone that really inspired me to set up my own law firm because I didn't know anybody who had done it and there was very little resources and support available for somebody that wants to start a law firm. My husband at the time was an entrepreneur and I think, you know, I, I was inspired by him definitely having seen him set up his own business. And I kind of just, I mean, I had just had a baby. So I expect the pregnancy hormones were messing with me slightly. I just thought I'll figure it out. Yes. And, and and that's what I did. I just kind of thought, I, I, at the time, it honestly felt like it was really the only option for me. It was the only idea I had of what, what I could do that I thought I would be able to do and that would make me happy. I didn't want to stay in law doing anything else. And there wasn't anything outside of law that I wanted to do. So it really was for me like just only plan A. Well, uh, and it's really impressive that you have done so. But one of the things that you've done and and perhaps 
might be considered slightly unusual is that you've embraced social media. In fact, as part of this research, I noticed you commented in an article somewhere about how important social media was to the firm. And, you know, you're on all platforms and you're quite authentic in the things you're talking about, the subject matters from holidays to the difficulties of being, you know, a working mum, the difficulties of deciding when to take a holiday or otherwise, and actually just a business of law. When did you decide not to be all stuffy about it and say, well, I need to embrace social media? It's there and it's a tool. Um, was that a conscious decision or did it happen really by accident? It wasn't a conscious decision, to be honest. I think up until up until about March 2020, I was a bit of a dabbler on LinkedIn, really. I didn't have an Instagram account. I'd kind of occasionally make an odd post and it would generally do quite well, but I didn't really pay it much attention, to be honest. There was no sort of transition from sort of being stuffy to not stuffy because I'd never been a stuffy lawyer. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think I ever fitted in anywhere that I'd worked before. And then when the pandemic hit um, a couple of years ago, obviously, I kind of had two weeks of devastating despair when I thought that my business was going to collapse. And then after I'd kind of picked myself up the floor, up off of the floor, I was like, well, you know, what can I do? How am I going to make sure that um, that this is okay. And obviously everything had gone online. So I decided to basically start embracing LinkedIn and what it had to offer. And I'd come across somebody who I really admired on LinkedIn called Leah Turner, who had just sort of started offering coaching services and she was looking for some guinea pigs. <laughs> and I put myself forward for that. And I had a session with her and it really opened my eyes to the power of LinkedIn. It never occurred to me to kind of understand how the algorithm works and to think about um, what time of day you post and, and all of the kind of the tips and tricks that you can use on LinkedIn to to kind of get your yourself out there even more. And then I just started posting and I've, I've never been short of things to say. I've always got opinions um, and I just started started putting them on there and I was absolutely blown away by the response, to be honest, because I never realised quite to the extent that so many people felt the same way as, that, as I do. It's wonderful to read your posts because we, we all relate to them. I remember there was a post where you were talking about giving tips. I think somebody had asked you about, you know, tips uh, in setting up your business and then the increase in your turnover. Then there was a tip about, you know, how to advise for juggling a busy career with young children. And I, I love those because number one in there was don't thrive for perfection, which, you know, so important. But one of the things that you don't talk about it as much now, but I notice other people talk about it, is the fact that you you've got tattoos you're quite happy for instance in your photograph you're wearing a vest and your tattoos are on show they look great they're part of you and they're part of your look but why are you so open about it and when did you decide to be open about it I think it was probably when I started Stevenson Law because up until that point I mean 
up until that point when I was working in private practice, um, I was very much expected to cover my tattoos. and I didn't have as many as I had now, so they could all be covered. Um, And then when I started my own law firm, initially I started covering them up. And then I just kind of thought one day, like, why am I doing this? I don't want to cover them up. I don't want to wear long sleeves in in the summer and I don't want to feel self-conscious about them. So I made a conscious decision that I was not going to cover them up anymore. And the the response, again, really surprised me. Um, My clients, they were really happy about it. They were like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you've got so many tattoos. That's really cool. I've never met a lawyer with tattoos before. Um, it was a really good talking point, actually. And, and it just struck me that it's actually a really good way to set myself apart from other lawyers and from other law firms. Yes. It makes me more memorable. It makes me stand out. And yes, it might put some people off working with me, but then that's not the type of person that I want to work with anyway. Yeah. So the, the response was really, really good. Um, one of my clients even said, I mean, obviously, I can't imagine that this was true, but he actually said to me that it was on his bucket list to work with a, a tattooed lawyer. <laughs> so it was really funny. I think initially there was quite a lot of surprise. Now everybody knows, and I, you know, I don't get those reactions anymore. You know, I have had more tattoos since I started with my firm. And about a year ago, I actually got my hand tattooed, which was for me, quite a big step, because obviously that's something that I can never cover. That's now part of me. But that for me really was the point at which I was very much committed to just being me and and not being anybody else um, for anybody else. And that's why I made that decision. Fantastic. Well, Alice, let me ask you this then, I, I guess. Um, The pandemic has had a huge effect on all of us, um, including young people. I'm wondering about how people feel about entering law and their careers in law. And I wondered if you might have three simple tips for somebody wanting to enter law, you know, as we record this, it's uh, 2022. Before the pandemic, my advice to people entering law was always to keep an open mind. And I don't think that the pandemic has changed this at all. I think, you know, my experience of legal training, and and I don't think this has massively changed, is is that you're kind of, you're put on this sort of um, path, this very conventional path where you're going to get a training contract and you're going to work at a certain type of firm and and this is what your career is going to look like. And there are so many different options out there Yes. So I I think it's really important that you don't sort of put yourself in a box right at the very beginning of your career and that you actually look at all the different legal careers, because even, you know, nowadays it's not all about becoming a solicitor or becoming a barrister. There's a whole range of, of different options out there. So do your research. Don't rely on somebody to tell you what they are because they, they, they probably won't. I think finding the right firm is obviously super, super important and something that I never really managed to do. And I think now we're in a place where hybrid working or even just like my firm and remote working is more prevalent. I think it's really important that you find a firm that you can see yourself. It's not just a one way 
recruitment process, you need to find somewhere that's going to support you, that's going to invest in you, that's going to look after you. It's particularly challenging supervising trainees and junior lawyers remotely. So you need to understand how firms are, are doing that if they are working remotely to make sure that you're still going to be given, you know, good quality, interesting work. Thirdly, what would I say thirdly? I would say start building your network right at the beginning, right at law school. You know, get yourself on LinkedIn and connect with everybody that you meet because it's never too early to build your network. I wish that I had started earlier, but that would definitely be my third third piece of advice. Fantastic. And then the MBA, not just an MBA or a short, not just a short course, but, you know, an executive course. <laughs> what was I thinking, Sally? <laughs> I know. I'm thinking I'm writing unicorn books and legal books. You're, you're actually doing the real stuff. But it, it is important because I love learning and I've always had a love of learning and continuing one's education somehow. And so I was just really impressed that you clearly were following the same line. But, you know, one often has sort of the desire to do stuff and then the willpower is another thing. And, you know, you've you've got both of it. So I was interested to see why you felt you had to do it or why you wanted to do it, particularly in those difficult, you know, difficult uh, circumstances, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I... I... I don't practice law anymore. My job is running my business and I want to do that as well as I possibly can. Um, And as lawyers, we're not trained to run businesses. So I, I think, you know, whilst I had been doing pretty well, getting my business to where it was, I I guess there was an element of me that always felt like I was just making up as I was going along a bit of imposter syndrome in there. And and I've always been somebody that's that loves learning like you, Sally. So I decided to do the MBA just because I really, you know, it's really important to me that I'm doing a good job, as good a job as I can with running my business and growing my business. And I knew that I had an awful lot to learn about doing that. So doing the MBA just felt to me like the best way that I was going to be able to do that. Yes. And if I may say so, I've said this before when I've given keynote speeches, when asked, one of the ways for me to deal with my own imposter syndrome, or certainly used to be, was knowledge. You know, if I'm the person who knows the most in the room, I feel more confident because I've yeah. you know, done the homework. And I wondered if there was a uh, some an element of that for you as well that actually because we're not taught the business of law, are we? So, you know, something like no. the an exec MBA does that and it can only improve your business. Yeah, absolutely. On the one hand, you know, it can be quite reassuring when I'm sitting in a financial accounting class and I understand everything that they're talking about. And I think, oh, actually, do you know what? I'm not a complete idiot when it comes to this stuff. I do, I, I do know what, what all of this means. And then there are other classes where I'm like, this is this is completely blowing me away. This is not something that I would have ever thought about. This is going to, you know, really help me to run my business. So there's a bit, there's definitely a bit of both, but it's really interesting and really rewarding. 
Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I can, I can imagine. And with, you know, I know your daughter's gone off traveling, hasn't she? So you've still got, you know, you're a working mum full on and studying. I have every respect for you. So what do you do for your well-being? Because, you know, Alice, the truth is um, law is long hours and burnout is just around the corner whilst we talk a lot about well-being and mental health we have to actually work at it so i wonder what do you do for your well-being and to ensure you don't burn out and to ensure you're having family time you know with your children and your husband as well as running the business and i'm asking so that maybe i can take some tips from you or those who might be listening as well because our sector, I think we have to admit we're not brilliant at it because we've got long deadlines and long working hours. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, it is, I would say it's a kind of, it's an ongoing thing. It's something that I'm not always very good at. And then sometimes I'm, I'm better at it than at other times. But I think having started my own business, it really forced me to develop the skills to look after myself because if I'm not functioning well then my business is not going to function well so when I started my business I made some pretty drastic lifestyle changes I stopped drinking alcohol I um wow. changed to a, I know I changed to a plant-based diet and I have always been quite an enthusiastic gym person as well so exercise has always been very important to me Sometimes it doesn't work out and, and life gets in the way, but generally I always come back to keeping myself fit and healthy. And that helps both my physical and my mental health. I'm really strict with my sleep. I go to bed at nine o'clock every night. I leave my phone downstairs. That's wow. absolutely my time to switch off and very little will get in the way of that. I've got a little dog. I think she's really good for my mental health. Yeah. Um, she, you know, apart from the fact that, you know, I have to get out and walk her every day. She's just, you know, she's just lovely. I call her my little emotional support dog sometimes. Um, and I think it's just really important to just have a support network around you as well. I couldn't do what I do without my husband. He, um, at the time I started Stevenson Law, he was running a business. And when Stevenson Law started to really take off, we decided to sell his business because running two businesses in one family was just ridiculous. Yes. Um, so he actually took a step back from his career so that he could be around more for the children. And I was able to really concentrate on my business. So, you know, sometimes you have to have those difficult conversations with with your partner so that you can make sure that that everything is is sort of being picked up by somebody and that's and that's worked out really well for us yes well can I ask you then do you think and I hate this question I'm often asked it because I don't think we ask men the same question but do you think women can have it all whatever that all is and by that I'm simply saying do you think we can run a business and actually look after our families well and our husbands and dogs and the wider family do you think we can do that but we have to accept that we can't be perfectionists um and we can't we have to accept that we may drop a few balls and we are juggling or do you think we can have it all yeah it depends what all is doesn't it because for me i do feel like i have it all i've got a great business i've got 
a great family. And, you know, for me, I, you know, there is nothing missing, but, you know, somebody else in my position would say, well, I want to spend more time with my children than you're spending and not be working so much. So it's very subjective. I do think that you can design your life. And there's a great book called Design Your Life. You can design your life so that each of the different categories of your life, whether it's your career or your friends and family or your social life, you know, are, are fulfilled, as fulfilled as you want them to be. But you have to be quite strategic about that. You know, you can't just sort of sit back and let it happen. But I definitely think that that is possible. Yes. Well, Alice, just you mentioned books and this. I, I love asking this because I love reading and we have a Women in the Law book club. And so I'm always looking for new materials. Um, and I noticed that, that um, some of the books that you say are your favourite books, for example, are Thrive by Adriana Huffington um, and uh, Rebel Ideas by Matthew Saeed, which is a book that I, I particularly love because it's about cognitive diversity. Uh, and yeah. so I wonder if you had an ultimate favorite book what would it be and why I don't think I really do I mean at the moment my reading is all very focused on my MBA I don't really have time to read much outside of my MBA I, th I think one of the books that's had the biggest impact on me was um, The Heart Tolls The Power Is Now um, and that's a book that I do sort of come back to every now and again because I find it really, really grounding. I'm not very good at meditating. I, I wish I was. I try and I fail and I try and I fail again. But it's the one, I, I guess, the one thing that I wish I could really get the hang of. I've got massive respect for people who can do that because I do let my brain kind of race and I get caught up in things and I get lost in my own head. But I find reading that book really useful to sort of reset me a little bit. So that would probably be the one. Yes. And can I ask you if you've got a favourite fictional lawyer at all, whether it's television or um, books? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the way you laugh, Sally. So I think... My favourite fictional lawyer has got to be Elle Woods from Legally Blonde um, because she's just hilarious. And I think, I mean, it is a terrible film, right? But hear me out. What I, what I really like about her is that she's underestimated because she's blonde, she carries around a little dog, she doesn't look like everybody else, and everybody just writes her off as a massive joke. Yes. And, you know, throughout my career, I have always been underestimated. So she's definitely the one that I think stands out to me the most. Fantastic. And she doesn't fit the mould. No. And often, you know, that takes me back to not even that early part in my career. But I think I was about 10 years cool when I was doing a really complicated case and this QC said to me, oh, shall we wait for your pupil master um, to come before we commence this case? Uh, and it wasn't said in a complimentary way. Uh, I said, oh, you'll be waiting a very long time because I think he's uh, living in Austria now. Um, and uh, because he just <laughs> couldn't, couldn't, you know, couldn't fathom that I was counsel, opposing counsel on this case, uh, nor that uh, I was going to win that case. But, um, but, but there we are. So, Alice, if yeah. people are listening, and thinking because you know one of the side effects of lockdown has been the great resign and in our profession is this um, mass increase in consultancy type practices particularly for solicitors 
what would be your tips about setting a business if you you know if you had just one at least setting up is there kind of one piece of advice or two or three that you could give before jumping mm-hmm. into it because you've been successful i fear that people think oh this is easy and straightforward and it's not really you know you are the ceo and founder of stevenson law and with it will come many other concerns apart from successes so i just wondered if you know if, if people are thinking about it now especially women because there are lots of different models now gunner cooks constantine law uh, obelisk all these different types of working but people ultimately want to set up their own law firms are there any tips or guidance that you you would offer yeah i mean i think you know starting a law firm is definitely not for everybody it it is really really hard work just like starting any businesses and i think you know starting a law firm has an added layer of complexity because it's a regulated business um even just sort of you you can't just sort of set yourself up and start trading you have to get yourself authorized you have to get pi insurance there's a whole load of hoops that you have to jump through but, you know, I, I started my business with £2,000. That's all I had. And I made it work. You, you need to be able to sell. I think that's a really important skill that you have to develop to start your business. And I think people shy away from sales. But actually, you know, when you're a business owner, you're not just selling your services to clients. You're, you're selling yourself to your insurer to get insurance to the SRA to authorize you. You're selling yourself to potential employees. It's a really important skill that you have to master if you're going to start a business and you can learn to sell. It's not something that you're born to do. So I think that's really important. I think I would also really think about why you want to do it, because when things get really difficult, you kind of you need that to come back to. You need to be able to remind yourself why am I doing this? You need to have a purpose. You need to have a reason for wanting to do this. You know, for me, it was very much about kind of challenging the status quo within the industry and building a law firm that was going to be much more inclusive and authentic. Yeah. So you need to have that reason. You need to have that purpose. And I think three is just don't listen to the people that are going to tell you that you can't do it because my goodness, there are so many of those out there. Though even people who, you know, they thought about it, but they'd never managed to do it or people who haven't even done that. So many people out there with zero experience will tell you that it's not possible, but it absolutely is possible. And actually recently I have launched a digital course on how to start your law firm, a law firm where I have literally shared everything that I have learned in the last five years starting Stevenson Law um it's a massive resource for people it, you know it will talk you through all of the different you know the compliance writing your business plan doing your financial forecast hiring a team everything that i just had to kind of find out as i went along i've put in this course to help people to do this so there is more support and resources available now this is on my own personal website alicestevenson.com Oh, I love it. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you very quickly was just um, about living in Amsterdam. I've kind of skipped over it because you're living the dream. (laughs) How is that? You know, it really is the the modern way, isn't it? 
because I met some of your team, I think, at an awards recently. So is that a deliberate decision to leave the UK, work and, and live abroad and still be able to deliver legal services to clients? Or are you kind of missing the reign of Blighty now? Yeah, so it was a deliberate decision. So when COVID hit, my team at the time was relatively small. There was about 12 of us. We had a little office in Bristol. We all kind of moved out of that office and started working remotely. And it just made me realize that, you know, we can actually do this from anywhere. Our lease ran out and we decided that we were, we were just going to not have an office and as we grew, we decided that we were going to recruit from anywhere. We weren't going to restrict ourselves to Bristol anymore. And I decided, you know, I've always wanted to live in Amsterdam. My husband has as well. Um, we think it would be a really great place to raise our children. So we decided to move over here. And um, within a few months, we were here. And that was nearly two years ago now. Wow. And it's been great. It's been really, really great. I mean, now um now it's a lot easier to travel back and forth which is nice it's not easy having a a completely remote business it's much nicer now we can all start to get together a little bit more I think you do need some face-to-face time even if it's just socially rather than you know working together and obviously we haven't been able to do that for a little while but you know Amsterdam's only it's like 45 minute flight away from London City. It's it's super easy. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, Preston or Lancaster for where I am. I mean, even London for me, when I go to work in London, it's uh, just over two hours. So it is, it, it sounds uh, absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, Alice, I could talk to you all day because there's a whole variety of things that um, I want, you have to come <laughs> back. But can I ask you this, I guess, um, you know, you're a working mum. You've set up a very successful law firm. You're doing um, the course and an MBA. And I just wondered what's next. Uh, and I'm kind of wondering if a book might be <laughs> on the cards here to share. Uh, bear with me. Some of this wonderful um, knowledge. Because, you know, when I came to law, I did not know anybody. I didn't have a network. Uh, and in fact, I was speaking to uh, my nephew recently, James, about the possibility of law. Um, and he was saying, I don't know anybody. And I was kind of like, well, it is hard. So I just wondered what's next and whether that might be an option for sharing perhaps some of the, your wisdom. You know, you're only 40 and you have lived probably more of a life than some people so what's next I don't really know I I, am I'm not really one for overly planning things I really like to kind of see what opportunities present themselves um at the moment I'm obviously very focused on uh growing Stevenson Law and finishing my course and just enjoying living in Amsterdam uh you know a book has definitely sort of crossed my mind but I think at the moment, the time is not quite right. I don't have the time to really focus on that. I'm doing through my alistevenson.com. I'm working a bit more and more with um, people who want to start their own law firms or people who are running their own law firms and need some support. So I'm offering some consulting to, to fellow law firm owners. And I really love that because I really, I really like supporting people who were where I was five years ago and yes. when I didn't have that support. So I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Wow. And and who inspires you, Alice, to 
carry on. You know, some of my guests on this podcast would say with parents to God. Uh, I'd probably say my children. You know, I had a poorly mm. son. Who inspires you? It's definitely my daughter. You know, she's 21 now. You know, when I look back 21 years ago where we were, we were in, I mean, it's just unrecognizable situation to the one that we're in now. And and I'm so proud of her. She's off traveling the world. She's working with animals. She's really following her dream. And I'm really, really proud that I'm able to support her in doing that because I'd never had that support myself from my parents or my family. So, yeah, it's definitely her. Oh, well, I'm I'm so pleased to hear it. Well, Alice, thank you so much for talking law with me, Sally Penny. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing your story with me on here because it's really important to share it and to inspire others. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. big thank you to Alice Stevenson for talking law with me, Sally Kelly. And thanks again to CBRE for supporting this episode. Do visit CBRE.com and find out more about the work that they do across the world. If you'd like to support Talking Law, then get in touch. I'd also love you to give me a follow. And you can find me on Twitter at SallyPenny1 or search for SallyPennyMBE on LinkedIn or Instagram. Do make sure you catch previous episodes of Talking Law where you can hear my interviews with guests such as international legal expert Felicity Gary QC and barrister Professor Leslie Thomas Queen's Council. Before I go, just a reminder about tickets to the Women in Law UK annual dinner and conference in November. And don't forget to watch my TED Talk at TED.com. Thank you so much to our production team, Sam Walker and Michael Blades at What Goes On Media. I'm Dr. Sally Penny, MBE. Bye for now.